Welcome to the XY Advisor podcast. To join a global community of financial advisors sharing and learning with one another to drive the positive evolution of financial advice, head to xyadvisor.com. G'day, Clayton here from XY Advisor. It's taken me 12 months, but we do finally have David Haynes. Uh, mate, thanks for joining us. Clayton, great to be here. So uh, I saw you present in Cebu, I guess it would have been, yeah, almost 12 months ago. And um, your story was really interesting. And it kind of made me realize that when you started your career out as an advisor, and it would have been in the 80s, right? Uh-huh, 89, yeah. Yep. And so you, you did the whole journey from advisor to uh, practice owner to a licensee owner to listing to ultimately then uh, someone coming in. It was IWF that, that took the whole thing? Correct. Yeah. IWS, I, IWF took, uh, took us over in 2014. Yeah. I mean, that is from an advisor's point of view. And I, I, I went from advisor to practice owner and then bowed out at that point. But you went, you went the entire distance. And that's such an interesting story that I would love to find out, I guess, the inner workings of how that all worked. Um, and then where you think advice is headed. And then, you know, let's have a chat about because you were talking on behalf of your alpha company, which is you go around the world and you teach advisors how to do exactly what it was that you, you did. So super interesting to get to that, but your story on how you went from 1989 as an advisor all the way to 2000 and it was 14, 2014. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that is such a cool story that I'd love to hear it from yeah. your point of view. Well, let's unpack it. Yeah. Cool. Where do you want to, where do you want to start? Eighty-nine, absolutely. 89, yeah. Okay, great. So um, I just finished a degree and um, uh, actually a teaching degree in, in 80, 88, 89. And uh, my father just happened to be an actuary. And, uh, you know, I, I loved my degree and I loved what I did, but I, I kind of didn't really want to be a teacher. You know, I was 23 and, and my dad was a man of few words, but I remember he, I said, Dad, you know, it's great I got a degree, but I don't really want to teach. What do you reckon? And he said, well... <laughs> Uh, man, a few words. He said, this, this thing called superannuation that's about to start and you do a whole lot worse than go and talk to AMP or National Mutual. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, I guess rewinding 26 years later, we sold our company for $670 million on the back of those words. Um, you know, it was a bit of a journey, but uh, I started out uh, with National Mutual, uh, obviously primarily, but not only on insurance and investment. Um, you know, I think there's a few epiphanies and key points along the journey. You know, I'm really strong on values and, and we were always, uh, when I say we, I was always incredibly client-centric. So you're always trying to do the right thing by the client, whether it's 2014, whether it's 1989. And, and, and you're sort of looking at the products and the fees and the commissions and you're going, gee, um, you know, is there a better way? So, you know, back then, uh, you know, circumnavigating the, the story somewhat, uh, National Mutual was a sole agency, so you could only deal with National Mutual. And I worked out after a couple of years, hey, you know, maybe it's better for my clients to diversify beyond just one company. And, and so I went and became uh, authorised uh, in the early 90s. Um, you know, there's a company called Navigator that you've probably heard of. Uh, that's a, a multi-manager, a wrap account provider. And I, I remember doing a review in 1991 with a client that might've had, you know, a hundred grand or a million bucks or whatever. It doesn't matter. But back then there was no internet. Um, you, there was a, a, a DOS based software called <laughs> FPI and today you jump into a wrap account with your login and password, push a button and see all the funds. We, we literally, gee, I'm showing my age here, Clayton, but we, <laughs> we, we literally needed to ring fund manager A, ring fund manager B, ring fund manager C, get the unit prices, put those unit prices into a DOS-based system to produce a review. And so it might have taken you, I don't know, 30 minutes, 45 minutes to produce the data, wow. which takes, you know, five seconds today. And so... You know, not only was I fiercely client-centric, but you're always saying, hey, how can I be more efficient? And then I was playing football, um, uh, you know, training after hours, and, and I said to a couple of, couple of mates that I was playing with, you know, what do you guys do? And they said, oh, we're building this, uh, this master fund called Navigator. And I said, what, you know, what the hell? They said, oh, don't worry, we, we, we work for Norwich. But then I dug a bit deeper and I realised that, gee, a master fund would save me 45 minutes per client times 50 clients or 100 clients or 200 clients. And so 
I, I was one of the first adopters of, of master funds or wrap accounts because it made sense. Yeah. Um, and so I guess along the journey, you're always looking to become more efficient, to, to, to achieve some sort of scale. So National Mutual to, to uh, authorised uh, multi-manager, starting to use wrap accounts. In the mid-90s, I thought, you know what, it's time to get self-licensed. And so, so that's what happened there. Uh, the late 90s, um, you know, there's a real, uh, I guess, key inflection point in the late 90s was um, I, I, I really uh, asked myself the question, where am I adding value? Am I really adding value by picking stocks, by picking asset managers and putting them together? And I was smart enough to measure the outcomes that I was achieving, but not smart enough to be adding value for the clients. And so again, that question, is there a better way? Um, I decided in the late 90s to outsource all investment management to a multi-manager. So rather than me blending two, three, five, 10 managers together, mm -hmm. I said, you know what? I've proven to myself that I'm not good enough to be, uh, to be adding value here. So I'm going to outsource that. So we ran a tender in the late 90s with companies that aren't around anymore, like Intech, uh, Russell, uh, MLC, uh, IPAC. And we decided uh, to outsource hundreds of millions of dollars at the time to MLC, to their Horizon Series 3, Horizon 4, Horizon 5, uh, which was a tremendous step for us to basically outsource all of that money to their asset management, uh, which meant that we needed to build an incredibly strong value proposition to be able to charge the client a fee. So we, you know, for all intents and purposes, we were naked in front of the client saying, no, no, they're managing the money over there. Mm. We're charging you for this value proposition. And that enabled us to build our muscles incredibly strongly, incredibly quickly. That's the good news. The bad news was we discovered that a multi-manager, um, any of the multi-managers was basically achieving the benchmark return minus fees and the fees were around 100 basis points. So we continued to uh, detract value. And so we were looking for a better way. Uh, again, you know, I'm a believer in fate and I looked at the, the 24 different managers on the brochure uh, of the, uh, and I've got a lot to be grateful for, for MLC for helping me, me to build amazing practice management. But at the end of the day, their asset management horizon series was detracting value. I looked at the brochure, the 24 different managers, uh, having a coffee, a point of reflection, where am I going? I've tried National Mutual, I've tried uh, multi-manager, uh, I've tried picking stocks and timing markets. There must be a better way. And I guess the obvious point would, to go down, to, would be to go down the index path with a, a Vanguard or a State Street. But I looked at this brochure with 24 managers and the only manager that was represented twice on there in both Australian shares and global shares was an asset manager called Dimensional. So being the inquisitive guy that I was in the uh, early 2000s, I started to inquire more about who are they, what do they do, why do they fit into the portfolio, why is MLC giving them a couple of billion dollars, uh, flew over to Santa Monica in the US, started to ask a whole bunch of questions, and cutting a, a very long story short, discovered that th there's broadly three ways you can invest money. You can invest it using a forecasting approach. Uh, you'll, you'll, you'll note here, Clayton, I don't like using the terms active or passive because I think they're incredibly confusing terms. So I would encourage the listeners to replace the word active and passive with forecasting and non-forecasting. Okay. Mm. Um, and, and, and I can go into more details as to why, but it can save a, a 30 minute or, or a one hour unnecessary argument. <laughs> the, the point being that for 10 or 12 years, we used active or forecasting management and detracted value. The second alternative would, would, would be to go down an indexing path that would achieve the benchmark return minus a very, very small fee. Uh, nothing wrong with that. But what we discovered using this evidence-based non-forecasting approach was that over time using the dimensions of higher expected returns, so small companies over large companies, uh, value companies over growth companies, uh, there's a premium for uh, certain dimensions uh, of higher expected return based on evidence. And so we could construct a portfolio using this particular approach and not only achieve the benchmark return, but outperform the benchmark return over time. So this was a huge uh, point of inflection and epiphany in the early 2000s. We moved hundreds of millions of dollars from a multi-manager across to this evidence-based approach and continued to build and grow. Um, we were able to take our team from the early 2000s of six or seven or eight people to ultimately around uh, 40 people at our peak. Um, and so, you know, it was a, a great company. 
I guess another point I'd, I'd probably mention here was I was smart enough to surround myself with really intelligent people. And, and so, um, you know, going back to the late 90s, I read a book uh, from Michael Gerber called The E-Myth. And the mm. E-Myth stands for the entrepreneurial myth. Yes. You know, just because you're a great florist doesn't mean you're going to be great at running a, a florist business. Uh, just because you're a great painter doesn't mean you're going to be running a great at running a painting business. And so what I learned was um, I needed to make a decision whether I was first and foremost a financial advisor or a business person. And I think you'll hear very shortly that at Shadforth, we were you know, very, very good financial advisors, but we surrounded ourselves by brilliant financial advisors, but we were great business people. Mm. So we, we continued to grow uh, this business through systems, through process, which is exactly what Gerber talks about in, in the book, The E-Myth. And I'd really encourage anybody that's looking to build from a practice to a business, that would be an incredibly great starting point to understand the difference around systems and process. And I guess the ultimate the ultimate example of that would be there's a lot of burger stores around Melbourne and Sydney uh, and indeed around the world, but there's not a lot of McDonald's and, and Hungry Jacks, right? So that's the difference between a practice and a business. The business has got systems and process that can enable, it, it, certainly in the case of Maccas, to have a 16, 17, 18-year-old run that business uh, because of the systems and the process. Yes. So we were able to grow that business. Um, Probably at this point, you know, I'm kind of in the mid-2000s before 2008. I want to come to the merger shortly. But I want to introduce this new concept, Clayton, of, of, of value propositions below the line and above the line. And, and below the line is what I talk about, the money, the product, the investment, the risk insurance, the mortgage, the, the, tra the traditional financial advice is below the line. And, and, and we need to understand and respect where we've come from but the new age financial advice is going to be above the line. It's going to be about the people, the outcomes, the goals and the aspirations. And so if you can build an amazing value proposition, both below the line and above the line, you, you got a kick ass business, right? Oh yeah. And so we, we, we had that because of outsourcing the investment manage management initially, we'd built that amazing value proposition above the line. Then when we plugged in the evidence-based investing below the line, it was bulletproof, it was kick-ass, and it grew. And then you start to put your, your business person hat on and network amongst other business people. And, and so the, the originations of Shadforth uh, was from networking, from networking with other great like-minded financial advisors. Um, that started off with a cup of coffee at an FPA conference or a bottle of wine or three um, at a dinner one night. Yeah. And, and so the originations of Shadforth were that we were business people. Our values were fiercely aligned. And when I say our values are fiercely aligned, we were business people. We wanted growth. Um, we were fiercely client-centric, fiercely inde independent and self-licensed um, um, and, and fee-based. Um, and, and, and so in 2008, we merged 13 companies. That's three companies in Brisbane three in Sydney, three in Melbourne, one in Tassie, two in Perth to create Shadforth Financial Group. Now, the, the question I get asked all the time is, Dave, 40% of marriages in Australia break up, but you know, how can you take 13 businesses and 26 egotistical principles and make that work? <laughs> and my response is that if you've got core values in a marriage, you know, I've been married for 20 years. I love my wife more today than I ever did. Um, we, we, you know, and we have our moments uh, and she's got her goals and, 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 and hobbies and I've got mine, but we've got core values. And, and at the heart of a great business is going to be great people with great core values. And, um, and so I'd encourage any of the listeners that haven't articulated their values of their practice or the values of their business, what do they stand for? Um, if they're interested in growing, uh, you will only be able to grow if you attract and retain a great team. Mm -hmm. um, and so to attract and retain a great team, you've got to have some values that you believe and you will attract people and you will lose people because you've got the right values and you've got the wrong values. So we, we had those values. Uh, day one merger, we had um, 300 staff. We had 80 million revenue, 25 million uh, EBIT. Uh, $8 billion of assets under management and, and roughly 8,000 mums and dads clients. And, and we were able to grow that business from uh, 80 million revenue, 25 million EBIT um, in 2014 when we got taken over 
uh, we were able to grow it from 80 million to 160 million revenue, from 25 million EBIT to, eight, to 58 million EBIT, uh, from 8,000 mum and dad clients to 13,000 mum and dad clients. Now, they're, they're all big numbers when you say IWF took us over for $670 million. But I think the way I'd ask everybody to look at it is to say, how do you move from 100 happy mum and dad clients to 200 happy mum and dad clients? How do you move from 8,000 mum and dad clients to 13,000 really happy mum and dad clients? And probably worth pausing, I'm, I'm, I'm going on a bit, Clayton, but I'm on a roll and you can yeah. see I'm a, pretty, I'm a pretty passionate kind of guy. But, um, you know, we merged on the 2nd of April, 2008. What happened 2008? We had the global financial crisis. I told you our profit day one was 25 million. Well, guess what? We charged asset-based fees uh, and we had a fixed cost structure and our annualised profit dropped from 25 million in April 2008. By November, December 2008, we were on an annualised run rate of 5 million profit from 25 million profit. Ouch. Now, when the yogurt hits the fan in a situation like that, if you don't have core values, it's game over. There's a whole lot of finger pointing starts and, and you won't get through. And we've seen that from many firms that have tried to scale, uh, some listed, some unlisted. You need to have the core values at the heart. Uh, so, mate, I'm going to pause there and, uh, and you, you take me where you want to go. That is awesome. I interviewed Tabordjan the other day down in Melbourne. He is a sensational advisor. And he credits you as one of the people that he was lucky to learn from in his career. Um, when you say above the line and below the line, great terminology. And I think um, you've given me a way to articulate what it is that I see happening across the industry, across the globe. And I know you work, work across the globe as well. So you're probably seeing a similar thing. I've, I've struggled to call it, uh, I haven't struggled to identify. It's very clear of what it, what it does, but this above the, above the line offering, which is this whole exploration into the client, their problems, their goals, what they want out of life, what, what ultimately the, the destination, which is different for everyone in time, but the destination that you're as an advisor doing your best to get your client to it's also the piece that financial planners have a very hard time understanding. And even more, as soon as you step outside of financial planning, they've never even heard of it. Like at the moment that I was speaking to um, some journalists at the Australian the other day, and I was trying to explain this concept to them and they just thought it was uh, groundbreaking. And I want to duck into this, above the line service offering, because I think if you're, it's the natural result of outsourcing investments. And I think if you can smash the outsource of investments, what funnily enough, I've recently started with chatting with Dimensional and they're a really interesting company and I'm keen to learn more about them. Um, but the above the line is where I find you get the most value from an advisor. If, if I was to recommend an advisor to someone, it's this above the line stuff. So I understand how you got to the point in time where you realized you needed to start giving this type of advice. What I'm really interested in is to learn what it was that you were doing for this above the line advice. Right. Um, well, well, firstly, uh, I agree entirely, you know, Taborjan, you know, we, we had 120 advisors at Shadforth. Uh, Taborjan was one of those, you know, a, a great guy, a seriously good operator. And there's a bunch of others as well like that. Um, I think firstly, before we get onto the above the line and below the line, um, I'd share with you a quick story at Shadforth about how we started to build this model within the Shadforth uh, uh, advisor group. We had, as I mentioned, 120 advisors. Uh, in the first 12 months, uh, what we witnessed was uh, a lot of uh, mums and dads, prospects, clients uh, coming into reception. Uh, the, the meeting room door had shut, you know, two, two and a half hours later, they'd walk out. Um, we don't know what happened in there, but um, our conversion rate in the first 12 months was 25%. One in four prospects that came in would go ahead as a client. So, you, you know, you might look at Shadforth and say, you know, super business, sold for a lot of money. Hey, our conversion rate was one in four in the first 12 months. And, and we sat down as a group and, and looked at that and said, you know, what the hell's going on? And I can tell you, IPAC did the same thing in the 90s. Exactly the same thing happened. And 
And so the first thing you need to do is you need to be clear on what your value proposition is. Is it you know, below the line, above the line? We'll unpack that shortly. The second thing is you need systems and processes and structure. So you know, if you're going to build a business uh, that's going to grow from two advisors to five advisors to 120 advisors, you've all got to do it the same way broadly. So sure, you can have freedom and flexibility within boundaries to reflect your own personality. But broadly, there's got to be uh, a core offering. There's got to be a core process. And so we were able to teach that process to the advisors within Shadforth. Uh, and we'll talk about the client-centric advice program that, that I taught to the Shadforth guys in uh, 2008. But, uh, but we were able to, to, to teach that to the advisors, how to articulate the above the line, what to do. Uh, and, and within 12 months, we moved our conversion rate from 25% to 67%. Amazing. Now, now, still not perfect. You know, it probably should be close to 80 or 90%, but that's a pretty dramatic increase by making some quite, uh, quite small tweaks to the value proposition. So, so firstly, um, uh, and again, you know, if there's one thing the listeners take away today, it, it's, it's, it's got to be this notion of above the line. So I want to unpack this over the next little while. So I don't want to rush it, but, but, but broadly, if we look at where financial advice has come from, uh, you know, 20, 30 years ago from insurance, maybe accounting, legal, um, you know, maybe, maybe mortgage broking. You know, we, we are building a new profession and we are getting there and we are heading in the right direction. But where we've come from, respect where we've come from, but understand the differences. Where we've come from was the industry started with a product manufacturer manufacturing a product that would then use a team that they would call distribution, Salespeople, we still hear that word distribution today. The only reason we have a word distribution is because somebody is distributing a product from a product manufacturer. And the third cog in that wheel is the customer. So it starts up the top, product manufacturing. The next step is distribution or salespeople. And the final step is the customer. Now that's the old model and, and respect the past, but the new model is client-centric, not sales-centric. We are starting with a client, not with a customer. Mm. And we go through an amazing discovery process where we deeply understand that client, that pro prospect or that couple uh, to the point that we're asking them questions they've possibly never been asked before. And this is all part of the above the line process. So it starts with a, a, a client centric approach with the client, not the customer. C for client, not C for customer. Banks have customers, financial advisors have clients. We then go through the second hat we wear. So the first hat is, is a very deep discovery. The second hat we wear is strategy to get them on track or keep them on track uh, by increasing income, decreasing expenses, minimizing taxation, ensuring there's uh, funds if there's a catastrophe, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, the third hat that we wear is a product hat if we need to wear a product hat. Sometimes we won't. Uh, many times we will. But what I'm saying is if we look at the new approach of above the line and below the line, that product comes last, not first. Mm. Uh, and I know there's going to be many listeners saying, yeah, we get all that, Dave. But we've got to be able to articulate this. Yes. Right? Yes. And, and so, um, you know, if we go to a barbecue or the footy, uh, you know, if, if we're able to get into the footy or when we can get back in there with COVID, you know, if, if you meet someone for the first time and they say, hey, Clayton, what do you do? And if you say you're a financial advisor, what's the next question they're likely to ask you? Oh, Jesus. Um, what are you going to try and sell me? No, no. Um, what stock should I pick? Right. Boom. Spot on. The next question they're going to ask you is, oh, man, you're a financial advisor. What should I be buying? Is it... You know, should, you know, with COVID, should I be in the market now? Or should I be out of the market? Yeah, Which stock yeah. should I be buying? What are the right stocks based on COVID? And so people think that's what financial advisors do. So this is a journey for everyone. It's a journey for us as an emerging profession to learn how advice of the future looks and works. Uh, but it's also a journey uh, through financial literacy for the general public to really understand where financial advisors can systematically add value and where they can't. Now, mm -hmm. if we're out there as an industry articulating that we're able to pick stocks and tie markets and add value by picking last year's best performing fund, I'm here to tell you there's data out there that, that's calling BS on that. You know, there's data out there from the US called SPIVA, S-P-I-V-A, which stands for Standard & Poor's Index versus Active, which has been tracking index versus active or forecasting funds since 2004. 
and what they find, and they do this in a whole bunch of markets, including Australia, including the US, uh, India, Japan, you name it. You can subscribe to this stuff free of charge. And if you believe what I believe, you'd be telling the whole world about this stuff. If you believe in forecasting management, active management, I'd be keeping it real quiet. <laughs> but, but what the data tells you is that on average, 70% of active or forecasting managers year on year are detracting value. And for the 30% that beat the benchmark, it's a different 30% the following year. And so we need to educate financial advisors. We need to educate the general public that I said before about adding value below the line and above the line. So let's start to unpack that. You know, below the line we said before was all about the product, yep. the mortgage, the risk insurance, the superannuation, uh, the investment, the share portfolio, because that's what people think we do. Yes. And in many cases, we need to deliver on that anyway. Yes. But we need to lead above the line, which is about the people. It's about the outcome. And so we talk about, about moving from product to people mm. or from money to meaning. Mm. Okay. So uh, Clayton, I meet you at a dinner party. I meet you at a barbecue and you say, Dave, what do you do? I say, I'm a financial advisor. Your next question is going to be, uh, what do you think of BHP right now? You know, yeah, you think that's likely to recover. Yeah. I've got two choices as a financial advisor. I can execute on a B BHP transaction and conversation with you and if I do, I'll be beholden to you for the next 10, 15, 20 years on picking stocks and timing markets. Yeah. If I ask a simple question, Clayton, and say, Clayton, I can buy some BHP shares for you. I can buy some Rio shares for you. But before I do, let me ask you a question. What is it you're trying to achieve? And I move the question immediately from below the line to above the line. And then you start to unpack not the money piece, but the meaning piece. You know, you mentioned to me before, you're a, you're a proud uh, budding father. In a couple of weeks, you're going to be having your first child. And so, um, and so best wishes for that. But, you know, things change in life. Uh, you know, relationships, family, uh, work. Uh, you know, there's a lot of people out of work at the moment doing it tough. Redundancy, uh, divorce the economy, interest rates, spending habits, when the list goes on and on around all of the things that change in people's lives. And, and you know, what you're about to go through in the next two weeks is a classic example. Yeah. Uh, I would put to you that as a father, you'll be thinking very differently about life in two or three weeks than you're thinking about it right now. Yeah. And so we're able to move the proposition from below the line to above the line. Now, the words that I would um, use to describe what it is to the listeners I'm going to tell you a quick story and then I'm going to come back to the words. Well, maybe I'll go through the words and then I'll come back and tell the story. The words are to summarize what this new value proposition looks like. Know me, know my family, understand me, help me, simplify me, declutter me, remove my anxiety. Know me, know my family, understand me, help me, simplify me declutter me, re reduce my anxiety. Now, where those words came from, Tony Fenning, who was the CEO of Shadforth 2008, taught me those words. Intuitively, it worked for me because intuitively, that's what I've been doing. I just couldn't articulate it that well. Yes. Unfortunately, Tony passed away uh, 18 months ago uh, with cancer uh, of a long, uh, long drawn out battle. I flew to Sydney to say farewell and we had a great chat about a whole bunch of things and all the things that we were able to achieve proudly together. But I, I wanted to ask him and I did ask him, I said, Tony, those words that you taught me, know me, know my family, understand me, help me, uh, declutter me, re reduce my anxiety. Where did they come from? Because they are such powerful words in anyone learning to move this value proposition above the line. He said, well, in, in the mid-90s, I was running St. George Bank. We were looking to build a financial advice model within the bank. We surveyed 14,000 bank customers and we said, if we could build financial advice, what would you like it to look like? And the words came back, we would like it to look, we would like you to know us, know my family, understand me, understand me, help me, simplify me, declutter me and reduce my anxiety. And so I would say to the listeners, if they're looking to move the proposition above the line, it's all about that. You've got to deliver on that. And so how do you do that? Yeah. The, best, the best way I would say is firstly, uh, again, breaking this down simplistically into below the line, above the line. You can want to move above the line if you like, but you will not be able to move above the line unless you get it right below the line. You need the capacity release. The capacity, for for, the capacity release for me came in the late 90s when we outsourced our money to a multi-manager say, hey, we're naked, 
you guys are managing the money. We've got to build our muscles and build our value proposition, right? That gave us the capacity release to build, the, to build above the line. The evidence-based approach that we adopted at Shadforth, we only had one, when I say only, we only had $1 billion out of $8 billion when we merged that was invested using an evidence-based core approach. Hmm. We adopted an evidence-based core approach because of evidence and we're able to grow that from $1 billion out of $8 billion to $9 billion out of $13 billion. It gave us a capacity release. It gave us efficiency. It gave us the ability to move above the line. And then you start to move above the line and to build your muscles and to build your value proposition. Yes. Now, if there was one epiphany that I would share with the listeners um, in 1995 in my journey of global best practice, I learned about this notion of lifelong cash flow modelling. And what is lifelong cash flow modeling? I mentioned before things can change in people's lives, work, retirement, redundancy, COVID, relationships, divorce, separation, marriage, kids, uh, the economy, interest rates, share markets can be up or down dramatically, et cetera, et cetera. A lot of things change in people's lives. And if we move the conversation, Clayton, um, Clayton says, what do you do, Dave? Dave says, I'm a financial advisor. You say, fantastic. I buy some BHP shares. I say, mate, I can do that for you. But what are you trying to achieve? Oh, great question. I'd love, you know, I'm having a baby in two weeks' time. I'd love to start saving some money for education. I'd love to be able to help my new baby to get into the property market because that's real tough, in, you know, when he or she's 21 or whatever, um, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So we start to unpack the goals and aspirations and then we build a model using a lifelong cash flow model, which I used in 1995 with a company called Presswood. We used Presswood successfully from 95 till 2008. In 2008, Shadforth built our own lifelong cash flow mod modeling tool, an internal proprietary system called FinMod. We'll talk about what I'm doing now and beyond Shadforth in a moment, but Having, uh, having, been, uh, well, having finished up at Shadforth in 2014, I've been searching Australia and the globe for a decent lifelong cash flow modelling tool to bring to Australia. And the reason I have is because I'm so passionate about helping advisors move from below the line to above the line. They cannot do it without a really strong lifelong cash flow modelling tool as the fulcrum to anchor their conversations around. I, I kind of went on this whole journey by myself because that's just my nature is to go out and to explore things by myself. It's only in the last few years, which I've been having exposure to these great conversations that I realized I could have cut down my learning time <laughs> substantially. Um, but I remember having my, cause I came from tax accounting for a few years and then I, I worked at a very sort of CIS or superannuation industry, supervision law focused uh, SMSF practice um, or Dixon advisory which, you know, at one point in time was uh, very good. Um, and, uh, and then I moved across to AMP, uh, which once upon a time was, used to be good. <laughs> um, and then I opened my own practice. And within about six months of having my own practice, uh, I had a client say to me, thanks Clayton for, let's say, long-term investment and superannuation and, and insurance. Thank you know you've taken care of everything of my life tomorrow, but what can you do for me today? And that question blew my mind, and I was sat gobsmacked in that meeting because everything I'd learned was all future focused, was all that sort of uh, in, almost intangible. Yes, thank you. My life is going to be better in the future, but what can you do for me now? And uh, yeah, I was kind. I was kind of. Um, I was kind of blown away by that question i then went back and thought about it and i'd had a i'd had a cash flow model for myself that i'd created for myself at 21 years of age that i'd been using for the last decade and so i then had some conversations with some banks and i was able to figure out how to take my model and replicate it into uh into other people's lives and so within about 12 months of opening the door Boom. I had cash flow as a service and I called it private banking and I probably spent too much time on cash flow and that became a real big focus. And then I basically all of my service offering was centered around cash flow so that I had something that I could help people with today, but also below the line or, or the long-term stuff. Um, it was, I was at that sort of precipice of starting to then build in this lifestyle framework, right? So it was this money and lifestyle framework. I ended up 
kind of writing a book about it in the end. And then I asked myself the same question was, um, am I a financial planner or, or am I an entrepreneur? And um, I loved financial planning, but I realized I did have that sort of that desire to go out and see what else I could do. So I ended up selling the business. Um, with all that said, the above the line, the fulcrum, as you just described it, was the cash flow. And so you're able to put into words my experience better than I, better than I can. And so, I'm, so let's assume now that the below the line is your bread and butter. It's, it's what, you, know, you get into advice and that's the first thing you learn. You, and it takes a while to get good at. I'm not suggesting just because it's simple that it's easy. And it's not, right? It does take a lot of research. It does take a lot of work. And then you, you open up this cash flow concept. Let's assume that this cash flow concept is, and, and that takes a couple of years as well. So let's say as an advisor, I'm in a position now where the long-term, the short-term, the monetary stuff is taken care of, right? That still is only about half of the know me, know my family, understand me, declutter me, reduce my, um, my anxiety, right? There's a whole other piece that is really only spoken about in whispers, right? Which is this whole idea. And, and, uh, and uh, the, uh, the IFA did a, an article uh, recently with, with me on, on this stuff above the line. And someone, you know, as, as, uh, as they often do, the comment sections was slamming the concept of this being pop psychology, was discarding this whole idea of above the line as, as a waste of time. And I thought, okay, I still haven't articulated properly what it is that advice is, I would say, rapidly becoming. And it's conversations like this that are improving that um, conversation substantially. So let's assume now that the cash flow is even taken care of because, and, and this is where the, the podcast with Tabordrin blew my mind because he, he spends six to 12 months on this particular piece which I'm not, I, I think he's probably sort of dragged it out from the time that he spent with Shadforth. I'm only just assuming here, but how, as an advisor, how on earth do we train people to ask them, to ask uh, clients that are in front of them what you alluded to before, which was questions that they've never been asked before? How do we upskill advisors so those questions are getting asked day one in advice, or at least, you know, maybe year one, day one, rather than taking 10 years to get to? How do we do that? Okay. So, uh, boy, you know, we've only got an hour, Clayton, but, um, <laughs> um, you know, you're asking some absolutely bang on questions. Uh, and, and so a lot of the points that I'm making today are interlinked. I'm saying if you can have global best practice below the line and global best practice above the line, you've got a kick-ass proposition. What does that look like? Yeah. Uh, you build that and we'll unpack that shortly, but you build that and then you've got to systemize the process, but customize the advice, right? Systemize the process, customize the advice. So if you want to go from, you know, the, the local burger bar down the corner to, to Ray Kroc's Maccas, you've got to systemize the process and customize the advice, which is how you're able to go from a small practice to a larger business to a Shadforth, uh, as an example. So we're not talking about a cookie cutter approach here. We're talking about, uh, uh, it's a little bit like going 10 pin bowling uh, with the, uh, the, the lane guards on, right? You know, the ball might move around a little bit, but there's a couple of rails there to keep you on track. And, and so broadly, uh, if you look at benchmark reports around the world from financial advice firms, financial advisors, what's the number one thing that financial advisors would like to do that they're not achieving? It's growth. Mm. Uh, now, now, some people listening might say, you know what, that's not me. I don't want to grow. But I'll bet if they don't want to grow, they want to be more efficient. Yes. Okay. And the number two thing is, uh, auto, is, is, is automate systems and processes. So before you can automate a system and process, you've got to have a system and process, right? <laughs> yes. Okay. And so everything we're talking about, you know, a wise man once said the definition of a business is extracting money from someone without resorting to physical violence. <laughs> and I'm saying, well, <laughs> you, you know what? That's a pretty good start, but we've got to do a whole lot better than that. <laughs> So if there was a key point that we take out of today's conversation, it's all about value, 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 value. And my favorite saying, which surprisingly I haven't said today, is that cost is only an issue in the absence of value. So we need to build 
an amazing proposition below the line, above the line. Uh, Zig Ziglar, a, a famous speaker from the US, says you can have anything in life you want as long as you help enough people achieve what they want, mm. right? So this is coming to the whole notion of above the line, below the line. Somebody comes in, you, you know, Clayton, can, can you buy some BHP shares for me, Dave? Sure, I can do that, but what are you trying to achieve? You move the conversation above the line. And then, you know, you might say, well, well Clayton, you can't eat returns. You can't consume returns. So would you rather get 8% or 10%? Sure, you'd rather get 10%. Of course you would. But what if you only needed to take the risk because you're on track? What if you only needed to take the risk from a more conservative asset allocation and you only needed to get 6%? Are you on track or not on track to achieve your goals and aspirations? And so we're not talking about retirement at 65 or retirement at 63. We're talking about everything. Schools, beach houses, aged care, inheritance, everything that could possibly get thrown into the bucket. Now, one of those questions is, um, uh, well, actually, I'd like to travel overseas every five years and I'd like to go premium economy, not economy. Okay, let's put that into the model. I'd like to buy a new car every seven years. Great. How much is that going to cost? So giving you an example of how you can build out this proposition, as you start to look at each aspect of what we're discussing, it dawned on me that we had hundreds of clients that were looking to buy a new car each five, six, seven, eight years, we knew it was going to be 100,000, 120,000. As they got closer from five years out, four years out, three years out, two years out, we'd say, uh, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, are you still wanting to buy that new car? Yeah, yeah, actually, you know, we're starting to think about what it is. It's going to be a blue BMW. And so I thought, why wouldn't we build an independent car buying division, right? (laughs) If, if, If we know what our clients are looking to achieve, Now, we could choose to make money out of that or we could choose to pass that back to the client. In this case, we chose to pass that on. We bought 70 or 80 uh, cars for our clients whilst I was at Shadforth through an independent car buying service. Um, And and we said to our clients, look, go, go to your local BMW dealer, go to your local Mercedes dealer. You get the best possible deal you can. Come back to us, give us 24 hours. On average, we saved six to eight thousand dollars per car. Wow! Now, guess what our average fee was? Six to eight thousand dollars per client, right? Wow. So if, if you're saving that each six or eight years, so I guess the point I'm making is we need to be innovative below the line and innovative yes. above the line. But broadly speaking, if you've got a strong value proposition below and above, uh, I would say evidence-based below the line, and I would say uh, goals-based and client-centric above the line, then you're heading in the right direction. But of course, there's, there's, you know, a lot of this is not new in one sense. Uh, you know, AMP, you mentioned before, uh, uh, clearly understand because they purchased uh, AXA and AXA purchased uh, IPAC. IPAC had a brilliant lifelong cash flow modeling tool called the Strategic Lifetime Model. Um, and again, we're circling back as to why they built that in the first place, because they had prospects going into the meeting rooms and walking out and their conversion strategy was terrible. So the IPAC directors were smart enough to say, hey, we need to build a system and a process around this so that all our advisors are doing it the same way and it needs to be client-centric. That's Mm. where the strategic lifetime model came from. The IPAC advisors were brilliant 25 years ago at delivering above the line strategic lifetime cash flow modeling advice and below the line delivering a portfolio solution with CPI plus three, CPI plus four, CPI plus five. To be fair, detracting value against the benchmark because they were using forecasting or active management, but they're heading down the right path and probably decades ahead of their time. Fast forward 20 years later, AMP has obviously purchased uh, AXA and IPAC. Uh, They've seen what they've tried to do. Uh, They've looked at a firm over in the US called United Capital with a brilliant entrepreneur called Joe Duran that had a brilliant above-the-line cash flow modelling tool and AMP Goals 360 is born. Now, yeah, on the public record is AMP spent more than $200 million. Uh, I hear unofficially more than $400 million and it's not working. And you say, well, why isn't working? Because going back to where we started today, I said the old model was to go from a product manufacturer to distribution to a customer. Well, AMP has gone from goals 360 straight to the product and they've forgotten about the strategy. Yeah. Okay. And so, you know, the fundamental build hasn't been right. And, and so, you know, I hear there's a possibility that that might be canned and it might move back to strategic lifetime model. AMP was heading down the right path. 
the advisors heading down this path are thinking down the right path. Um, and so I've been looking for the last six years because I'm, I'm now advising advisors. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'm trying to stick to Australia and New Zealand. Um, you know, 2018, I was in uh, 17 countries as far and wide as, you know, Norway, Germany, South Africa. I can tell you something that Australian advisors should be proud of. Firstly, we are as advanced, if not more advanced than any country I've ever been to. And, and that doesn't mean we've got it right, by the way. But yeah. and I think, to be fair, with compulsory superannuation, with the regulator, I think we are so far in advance of what I see. We're 20 years in advance of Hong Kong and Singapore, the real financial hubs that are still selling whole of life and endowment. <laughs> but we haven't got a lot of great tools in Australia. You know, and I know that 70% of advisors use X-Plan and you can do lifelong cash flow modelling on X-Plan but it's not client-centric, it's not client-facing, it's something that's been built to go into page, uh, you know, 72 of the Statement of Advice document. We need something that goes up on the big screen, something we can share over Zoom, something that's going to be a 30 or 40-minute 40, 40 conversation. And all of a sudden, our, our review meeting, where we're looking in the rear vision mirror as we drive down the highway, the review meeting becomes a regular progress meeting where we're looking in a forward-focused sense through the windscreen. Mm. And so... There are tools in Australia like uh, Wealth Central, uh, which is a, a great uh, lifelong cash flow modelling tool that I've looked at, but they are few and far between. So I've been dealing with a bunch of companies overseas uh, like Voyant, uh, like Better Trade Off in Singapore, to bring a tool to Australia that is going to have scalable capabilities to enable the financial advisors to be able to deliver on real, genuine, proper, above the line financial advice, which is where it's going. Awesome. Wealth Central, yeah, they uh, they joined us in our Christmas tour last year. They got a cool little uh, VR headset. Shout out to uh, to Wealth Central, good guys, um, mate. A lot of that is I, I'm loving the way that you articulate it and you're so passionate about it. Um, I assume here for a moment that when people become when advisors become your client um, for your global uh, advisor alpha. Um, that they, that this is the kind of stuff that you're spending time with them one-on-one to move from where they are currently operating, which is, you know, different versions of, you know, might be 75% under the line, 25%. And your job would be with them to get them as much above the line as possible. Is that correct? Yeah. So I guess broadly uh, what I'm trying to deliver on Clayton is to help people achieve what they're trying to achieve, which is primarily growth or efficiency. Um, the challenge is is having gone from uh, you know no staff to, to to a team of six hundred, I'm I'm in a happy space. Uh, you know we started Shadforth at forty two. We got taken over when I was forty eight. Uh, I got a check that I thought I'd never see before. So I've now moved from what I call success to significance, mm. and I don't have any aspirations to grow an empire, but I do have aspirations to deliver at scale and make an impact. Yes. and so. I need to be really careful where I spend my time because there are so many businesses around Australia, New Zealand, Singapore, Hong Kong, that I can get caught up in that, frankly, can't afford to pay what needs to be paid to deliver on what needs to be delivered on. So we need to find a way to scale that message up. I do that through speaking. I do that through consulting. And I do that through programs. Uh, I've run a, a client-centric advice program. Uh, you know, I probably didn't answer your question from from ten or fifteen minutes ago, but but I don't see many programs out there globally that help advisors move from below the line to above the line. What do I say here? What do I do there? What agenda do I use? What minutes do I use? And so, for me, I've gone through what I'd call global best practice. I've spent tens and tens and tens of thousands of dollars on programs myself uh, with the Bill Bacharachs, the John Bowens, the CGs. Um, and, and so a lot of reading and, 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 and combining that with my own experiences and Australianizing it, uh, what I've done is, is, is I've built this uh, client-centric advice program that I've delivered face-to-face since 2008 at Shadforth and, and, and obviously face-to-face since 2014 outside of Shadforth. Um, but... I'm really happy to tell you that in the last two years, I've been working to put that online, uh, you know, which is a huge uh, job to do for a guy that doesn't want to run an empire. But, um, <laughs> but you know, that's, that's now available. And, and so people can jump on the website and have a look at that uh, if that's going to be of interest to them. Awesome. And the, the actual address is uh, globaladvisoralpha.com, correct? 
advisor with an e, globaladvisoralpha.com. There's some really good articles on there. Um, there's an article that, that I've just written yesterday, which is a deep dive articulating all of the, the pieces of value that we add below the line and above the line. That's going to go live over the next week. So, you know, I really encourage people to read those articles. Uh, and if they're interested in having a look at the program, jump onto uh, globaladvisoralpha.com, uh, no AU. And, um, and, and so what they'll find there is, is 14 modules, 27 videos, 38 best practice scripts and templates. Uh, and, and they can work through it at their own pace in their pajamas and, uh, and, and obviously able to give me a buzz uh, if they want to. There's, a, there's an online version, you know, direct online, or there's an online facilitated version, obviously a little bit more expensive, but you, you pick up one new client through this and you pay for the program and away you go. Beautiful. Mate, I am so glad that uh, we made this happen after 12 months. I know you're a busy man all over the world. So uh, thank you so much for coming on, sharing with us, leading the charge in. And I, I'm, I'm going to start adopting your terminology, by the way, above the line and below the line. I think that's a much clearer way of articulating what the future of, what the present, but also where advice is moving to incrementally. I think just across the board, how can we get advisors, firstly in Australia, more and more above the line, it's where, it's where the value sits. It's what people want. So you're actually uh, answering the call. And, and then ultimately across the, across the globe, that's our mandate is to drive the positive evolution of financial advice. But it's getting people like you to come and share. So thanks so much. Um, advisors have their way to reach out um, to, to, to find out more. And so thanks so much for coming on. Good on you, mate. I'll just wrap up with a couple of quick comments. I mean, firstly, 10% of Australians have taken advice uh, but how many Australians would have any idea whether they're on track or not on track to achieve their goals and their aspirations? That's the opportunity with lifelong cash flow modelling above the line. And so, you know, really, really, we're here to help. We're here to encourage people to, to, to build that proposition. Um, I hope the listeners got something out of today. And uh, yeah, keep in touch. Awesome, mate. Thank you so much. Good on you, buddy. Take care. Cheers. Cheers. 